So here we gather in a place made sacred by all those who have gathered here before us on an early spring morning that has never happened before. And as stormy winds outside freshen the air, may we be open to fresh possibilities in our own lives, alert to whispered messages of our own hearts, strengthened by being together here now in this place, a community of the spirit united in love. So good morning everybody and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church and to this, our gathered community of the spirit known as Kensington Unitarians. We're a community created by all those who walk through our doors and whether the, this be your first visit or your thousandth, we hope you are touched by the warmth of a welcome that accepts you just as you are. Whoever you are, wherever you've come from, Whoever you choose to love and whatever identities are important to you, may they and you find a place here with us. Now today's service is a further exploration of our ministry theme of rebellion, defiance and dissent. And we'll be asking questions about society's laws and about our own ethical rules for living. When must we follow the rulings of our own conscience? even if our actions bring us into conflict with the lawmakers. But let's start by settling ourselves, settling into this time and this place, the here and now that unfolds before us. And our chalice flame shines once more. It's connecting us with progressive communities the world over. May its warmth burn in our hearts and remind us of our own ability to make a difference in the lives of others. Our own ability to build new ways of being and our own ability to right at least some of the wrongs that we find around us. I might just tell one of these stories in the interest of not hearing too much of my own voice. Um, and, and this one is a story that, that's always touched me because it is apparently true. Um, it's an incident that happened during the 30s in New York, on one of the coldest days of the year when the world was in the uh, grip of the Great Depression and all over that city the poor were close to starvation. And it happened that the judge who was sitting on the bench that day, hearing a complaint against a woman charged with stealing a loaf of bread, she pleaded that her daughter was sick, her grandchildren were starving, uh, the family had been abandoned. The shopkeeper, whose loaf had been stolen, refused to drop the charge, insisting instead that an example be made of that poor woman as a deterrent to others. The judge sighed. Um, he was most reluctant to pass judgment on the woman, but he had no alternative. I'm sorry, he turned to her. I can't make any exceptions. The law is the law. I sentence you to a fine of $10, and if you can't pay, I must send you to jail for 10 days. 
Well, the woman was obviously heartbroken, but even as he was passing sentence, the judge was reaching into his pocket for the money to pay off the $10 fine. And then he took off his hat, tossed the $10 bill into it, and then addressed the crowd. I'm also going to impose a fine of 50 cents on every person here present in this courtroom for living in a town where a person has to steal bread to save her grandchildren from starvation. Please collect the fines, Mr. Bailiff, in this hat and pass them across to the defendant. And so the accused went home that day from the courtroom with $47.50. 50 cents of which had been paid by the shamefaced grocery storekeeper who'd brought the charge against her in the first place. And as she left the courtroom, the gathering of uh, criminals and New York policemen apparently gave the judge a standing ovation. Wouldn't you like more courts to be like that one? I hope that story is true. And it does say here on the order of service that there's a story about a stolen smell and if you don't know that story that is worth seeking out on the internet the story of the stolen smell but let's um, take the message of that story into a time of reflection and prayer so let's align ourselves now with with that which we hold to be of highest worth. The spirit of love and life that calls us to be the best that we can be. Let's enter a shared time of reflection and prayer. We, We who know the world's many injustices we have to live in awareness of our own relative privilege. In stillness, let us consider in gratitude all that we have been given in this life. Not least those simple loaves of bread, the running water in our homes and electric lights. Yet no life is without challenge. In stillness, we might consider the difficulties we each have to work with. May we each find the strength we need to deal with our difficulties. And may our ability to reach out for assistance be renewed. Our ability to seek a helping hand when it's needed. As we heard of someone who stole in order to survive, Let us dedicate ourselves to the creation of a more just society in which each and every person has the basics of what they need to live. And let us focus our thoughts and prayers on places and people where there is difficulty, disturbance, despair. 
in ourselves maybe, in those we love, or situations we are aware of throughout our world. And let us align ourselves with a simple desire that all might have enough to meet their needs in this world. And may our intention be to make life's gifts ever more freely available to all people. And so may it be. Amen. Hundred Acts of Minor Descent by Mark Thomas. Back in 2013, Mark Thomas, comedian, author and activist, who by his own description has been causing trouble for over 30 years, started a long, a year-long project. He called the project 100 Acts of Minor Descent, and he spent the year taking actions to raise awareness of wrongs he perceived in our world. Those wrongs often involved other people's lives, and the actions he took ranged from the sublime to the ridiculous. But some did bring about positive change. You can hear more about the project and watch some of his acts of dissent on YouTube. As a side issue, Mark Thomas is a comedian often spied upon by the British government, and his campaign to see the police files kept on him alerted people to the fact that police files are also kept on many green politicians and campaigners, on whistleblowers who've pointed out wrongdoing in industry and the civil service and on journalists. It's hard to take a reading from Mark's book about his hundred acts of dissent because the book is full of swear words. <laughs> Such as, so instead, here's a list of some of his memorable actions and some results. With friends, he added a few little cleaning rats to a cute John Lewis Christmas display of happy animals to point out that John Lewis cleaners were paid below the living wage. A spoof advert noted that the well-known retail chain had spent £7 million on their Christmas advert, yet paid their cleaners less than £7 an hour. The strapline was, This Christmas, give someone a wage they can live on. <laughs> Another successful campaign alerted people to the poor working conditions of Curzon cinema staff, again, below the living wage and with zero hours contracts. The campaigners disrupted only the adverts before the films by standing up in day-glow outfits and shining torches all over the room. And they changed the words outside the cinemas from the titles of the films to the fact that, to the fact that it's a human right to join a trade union. He held a variety concert outside the Russian embassy in support of the human right to be in a same-sex relationship. He gave remote-controlled Barbie cars to women friends who then held a race outside the Saudi Arabian embassy, supporting women's rights to drive cars in the kingdom. And in case all this sounds just like a bit of fun, Mark Thomas discovered a while back that a friend he'd met and known well for some years through a campaign against the arms trade was in fact a spy. The influence of big business, like the arms trade on government, that's something that should concern us all, and we need when we need the Mark Thomases of this world to remind us of that. So I wonder, what acts of dissent you might want to commit? Thank you, Anthony. 
So we're inviting you to settle now into a time of meditation. Um, there'll be some words to lead into a beautiful piece of music. Uh, and then we'll hold a few minutes in stillness together and that'll end with a chime from our bell. So I invite you to get as comfy as you can do in your chair, have a stretch if you want, take a breath, put down anything you don't want to hold on to, maybe um, soften your gaze or close your eyes or focus on the candles if they're in your line of sight. Whatever helps you to quieten and soften and turn inwards. And I invite you, if you wish, in this time of meditation and reflection, to consider the, the question of who makes the rules in life? And are there some powers and authorities that are higher than others?
I, um, I spent far too long yesterday uh, reading online about ancient British laws that still remain on the statute book. Don't bother. That's all I can say. The best, the best that I could come up with was that it's still illegal to shake your doormat on the streets of London after 8am in the morning. And it's against the law for your pet dog to try and mate with any of the monarch's dogs. So just, just keep your distance from those royal corgis. So we, we might agree with the Charles Dickens character in his book Oliver Twist who made famous an old, old saying, the law is an ass, meaning a donkey, a foolish thing. But of course laws have justified some, some deadly serious crimes against humanity, haven't they? Um, Southern African apartheid was enshrined in law until 1994 Racial segregation in various states of America was legally enforced. It was illegal to shelter a Jewish person in your home during the Nazi regime. Here in England, it was only in 1967 that it became legal for two men over the age of 21 to have an intimate, loving relationship. And that only applied to England and Wales. To own another human being as a slave was regarded as illegal here in England during the 1700s and even earlier. But only in 1807 was the slave trade itself made illegal throughout the British Empire. And we know how slow the campaigns were to ensure the rights of married women to own their own property and to gain votes for women the world over and those rights are still not universally available to women around the world. Some laws are unjust and need to be defied, campaigned against and publicized. And unjust laws rarely get changed without a campaign against them. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in his letter from Birmingham jail that we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. Freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Weight has almost never, has, sorry, weight has almost always meant never. Now, I'm not claiming to be in the same league as Martin Luther King Jr. when it comes to campaigning, but back in the 1970s, I stood with friends in a courtroom in the Old Bailey and we argued our case against a big property company. It's, it's hard probably for, for some people to imagine that the London property market was worse in the 1970s than it is today. It really is a continuing disgrace, isn't it, that we have allowed big business to make so much money out of people's human right to have a roof over their heads and somewhere safe to lie down at night. But in the 1970s, as some of you will know, we had a largely unregulated property ownership and rental market. It was very, very hard to find places to live. Yet, 
thousands of properties here in this capital city were left empty by property companies who just kept them empty as investments. Now that is something that is creeping back currently here in London. By, by 1979, there were an estimated 50,000 squatters living in these properties around the country, living in properties without permission. And I was one of them, living with friends in a five-storey house in Primrose Hill that had been left empty for 13 years. What justification can there be for a five-storey house to be left empty for 13 years? When we were taken to court to be evicted, we mounted a strong defence. And although the judge had no legal power to give us time to move out, he insisted that the property company gave us six months to find alternative accommodation. We were amazed that he was prepared to do that. And the property company's barrister asked, on what grounds, my lord? And the judge did that thing of kind of looking over his glasses and smiling, and he said, on the grounds that I shall otherwise have to adjourn the case in order to, and at that point he shuffled all the papers, I shall otherwise have to adjourn this case in order to read the documents more carefully. <laughs> and that will cost your clients a great deal of money. Now we have a, a quote from Henry David Thoreau on the front of today's order of service. If the machine of government is of such a nature that it requires you to be the agent of injustice to another, then I say, break the law. And it is, of course, Thoreau who is credited with first using the term civil disobedience in an essay way back in 1848, when he wrote powerfully against his government's pursuit of an unjust war with Mexico, mm -hmm, slavery, and a new poll tax. Thoreau argued that citizens must prioritise their conscience over the law, that we have a duty of civil disobedience against laws we know to be unjust, against laws that favour the interests of the powerful over the powerless. Now, as Unitarians, we value, don't we, independence of thought. And it is inevitable that independent thinkers will sometimes find themselves in a conflict between the legal demands of the state and the demands of our own deeply held moral or religious convictions. So let us continue to value and indeed encourage independent thinking because our small seeds of defiance can encourage public debate and public debate can have a profound influence for good over time. Now on today's hymn sheet, where is it? On today's hymn sheet, you'll find some questions that encourage us to continue a conversation about law breaking. Though please do not feel that you must now also admit to some ghastly crime that you'd rather keep quiet about. But it's interesting to ask, are there, are there times when you found yourself on the wrong side of the law? And for what current causes might you be prepared to break the law? And what unjust laws 
Have you been most grateful that people actually dared to protest against? As public concern grows about, amongst so many other issues, the effects of climate change and environmental degradation, I think we will be increasingly challenged to consider our attitudes towards the law and towards lawmakers and lawbreakers. The lives of generations yet to come may depend on our attitudes now, may depend on our ability to wake up and truly see what is happening. Amen. So, so when we say go in peace, we don't mean go in mindless oblivion. When we say go in peace, we don't mean go without challenging yourself or others. When we say go in peace, we don't mean go in utter ease and comfort. When we say go in peace, we mean go in peace seeking justice. We mean go in peace committed to equal rights and opportunities for all. When we say go in peace, we mean go in the peace that is created when, together, we build communities of true solidarity deep compassion and fierce, unrelenting love. So let us go in peace, seeking justice for all. Amen. Amen. Go well and blessed be.